Hey there Desi Crime fans. I'm your host Aryan and I'm Ishwarya. And welcome back to the one and only criminally insane podcast that tickles your psychopathic bone, the Desi Crime podcast. Wherever you are, just stop in your tracks and hit the follow button, then share our podcast on your social media, and then if you're generous, become a patron for a whole lot of bonus content. You have long awaited the last episode of the Kohistan trilogy. While your patience shall be rewarded, perhaps the fairy tale ending you all expected like the ones in movies doesn't necessarily happen in real life. Only one way to find out. This all began with a blurry pixelated video shot in 2011. A video that was as innocent as any video, girl singing, boys dancing. This all began with that video. What might seem like scrambled pixels of boys and girls being merely boys and girls manifested itself into a virus, one that plagued person after person, district after district, until it swept the entire nation of Pakistan. One seemingly harmless video led to torture, killings, Supreme Court inquiries, and now an assassination. At this point in the story, eight people have died, all because of that video. First were the girls, Begum Jan, Shireen Jan, Baziga, and Amna, who were tortured and killed on 30th May 2012 for simply clapping to wedding songs. The next three to die were Upsal's brothers who were massacred on 4th January 2013. Those three brothers weren't even the ones dancing in the video, which is why they presumably never left Kohistan. Why would they? Why would they leave their own home when they've done no wrong? At least that's what they thought. But the family of the girls begged to differ. While Upsal, Bin Nasir and Gul Nazar were all in hiding, their other brothers didn't see the need to go. They thought their home was safe, but it wasn't. As a sign of revenge against Upsal, the girls' family raided their ancestral house in Kohistan and unleashed a fury of bullet fire, leaving all three brothers dead. Sunlight beamed through their stone house, which now stood penetrated with a thousand holes. It is 2013, and eight have been killed by this video. The Supreme Court has reopened the case. Find out if any more lives are lost by this one. viral video and if justice is served finally welcome back to part 3 of the kohistan video murders this has been a long time coming how does it feel to be in front of a mic after so long ashwarya oh my god it feels absolutely amazing but also kind of alien it's taking some time to figure this out now 
how was your summer my summer was absolutely amazing there was so much going on and i'm sure our listeners kind of saw it kind some of, of them yeah. were following us on our instagram handles and also on the podcast handle we were both in completely different parts of the world doing crazy stuff crazy stuff um ishwara was all over us i was all over africa and we're back to recording now yeah we're back on campus finally so your content should be available to you right on time this time <laughs> as we talk about traveling ashwar it reminds me of some other place i have traveled drum roll dubai aran for you it always comes back to dubai right bear with me ashwara i found a lead when i was in africa owing to someone i know from my time in dubai this lead this source was a pakistani immigrant who i was very close to when i lived in dubai Guess which district in Pakistan my source is from? No way. <laughs> yes way. Just like my stay in Dubai allowed me into greater details from the Sri Devi case, my stay in Dubai played an even more important role in this case. See Aran, now I can't even annoy you about you mentioning <laughs> Dubai because that is really cool. Firstly, <laughs> jokes on you, and secondly, it gets much cooler. He hails not only from northern Pakistan but from Khyber Pakhtunkhwa district. But not only is our lead from Khyber Pakhtunkhwa district in northern Pakistan, he is literally from the village that borders Kohistan. What finally jammed the nail in the coffin for me and might for you too was us being able to reach out to this local from the Kohistan area. How we came across him and what he had to say. All that for later. For now, Let's jump back to the cliffhanger finale you all have been waiting for. This case was shut closed by the Supreme Court based on the task force headed by Justice Munira. When she visited Kohistan and met the girls who were allegedly the same as the ones in the video, she was satisfied that they were indeed Baziga and Amna and Shireen. She was convinced that the folks in Kohistan were being honest, but Dr. Farzana Bari wasn't. Dr Bari wasn't oblivious to the telltale signs of a brewing cover-up. For starters, the translator provided to the investigators by the authority was a, a relative of the girl's families, and Baziga wasn't anywhere to be seen. 7 days back when the first commission was sent, Maulana Javed, remember he's the man who allegedly issued the fatwa for the honor killings, along with others proclaimed that Baziga was unwell. Now, all of a sudden, in less than a week, their excuse for not presenting her as pregnancy dr bari was helpless as the commission was led by justice munira who decided that she had had enough but in the midst of all of this don't forget rumors about afsal's intentions to leave pakistan to get asylum were also spreading moreover a key development was that gul nazar and bin nasir were claiming that the video was edited and made viral for vendetta against their family Furthermore in the middle of these haphazard revelations three of their brothers were also shot dead because of this the case was reopened but now what with the girl's parents refusing to present them to the court what can authorities do if the supreme court of a nuclear weapon possessing country cannot get its citizens to come to the court who in the heck can physical evidence is scarce but there are witnesses All they need is a breadcrumb trail. Afsal has all the info. He just needs a spider web that connects it all. Okay, so Aran, a bit of housekeeping here. What's the evidence that we have right at this moment? As far as I recall, there's a clear relationship between the assassins of Afsal's three brothers to the girls' tribe. 
There's an ambivalence in Kohistan whenever the question to present the girls is brought up, which nudges one to further investigate. There is Afsal's testimony, there is witness evidence of a fatwa. As tantalizing as all these pieces of the puzzle are, they simply aren't enough. Is there something that I'm missing? There's just one thing you're missing, which I missed, which the audience missed, and which all the investigators, police, political pundits, journalists missed. That single piece of evidence, if found, was the one way out of this mess. One way to conclusively show whether the girls in the video were dead or alive. And the answer to this million-dollar question lay in the hands of a Reuters journalist. Her name was Catherine Hurald. Catherine is the East Africa bureau chief at Reuters and has served the same role in South Asia. She was kind enough to let us bug her with questions and back-and-forth emails. Interacting with her directly helped us unravel this case better than we could have. Now, before I get on with the story, a teeny tiny flashback to June 2012. Remember when Afsal held the press conference sharing with the world what had happened. A few days after that press conference, he walked into the Reuters office in Islamabad. This was right after his allegations about the murder of five women had begun to make headlines in Pakistan. He was keen to talk to someone who might help him press his case through the courts. There... In the dusty halls of the Reuters office in Islamabad, he met Catherine Hurald. She immediately formed an unbreakable bond with Afsal and was out on a mission to get justice. We reached out to her and in our email exchange, she shared some incredible details about this case and we at Desi Crime give a huge shout out to her investigative prowess. When they first met, Afsal slowly, with the help of a friend who spoke slightly better English, laid out the facts of the case to Catherine. Four women and his two brothers had made a light-hearted film of themselves clapping and singing to music in the remote northern valley where they lived. The grainy footage showed the women sitting down, headscarves on, occasionally clapping. They were 19-year-old Serene, 22-year-old Begum, 23-year-old Amina, and 25-year-old Baziga. Even though Catherine wasn't Pakistani, she was a woman who lived in Pakistan, and now she knew all she had to. She wasn't a stranger to honor killings. She knew the destitute conditions to which women were subjected to in Pakistan. In her own words, I quote, Around 1,000 so-called honor killings were reported each year, and that was just the ones that made it into the press. My binder was crammed with cases of women pounded to death, girls strangled, pregnant women shot, sisters and daughters drowned and beaten, end quote. In regards to the prevalence of honor killings, Catherine says, Honor killings were so common, several each day, we could rarely cover them. When someone told me their sisters and mothers had been raped and set on fire by the landlord, I said I couldn't even write a story about it. Too frequent. Couldn't get it past the desk. Unquote. But there was something about the Kohistan case that drew our attention at Desi Crime and Catherine's attention at Reuters. There was just something about this case that portended a glimmer of justice, perhaps. A chance at equality. A shot at hope. So after Afsal's tryst with Catherine began months, then years, of trudging around Pakistan's capital. Both of them went and knocked on the doors of civil society organizations that received foreign funding to stand up for women's rights. These organizations pasted articles about his case in scrapbooks and promised to call. Promises, promises. They never called. There seemed to be a palpable shift in momentum. 
Initially, everything seemed positive. Remember, Ashwara, when I said that the Pakistani Supreme Court was being extremely decisive, they set up a task force, sent two commissions, and even appointed the interior minister to this case? Yep. But as the case progressed, that positivity from Pakistan's judicial setup faded. That initial public upheaval settled. As the months passed, instead of Afsal's appeal picking up momentum, there were, in fact, rumours against Afsal. The political mill was churning its own stories to deface Afsal. And now that the second task force had declared this case shut, Afsal didn't know what to do. But herein came Catherine. She realised that there was only one way to sway the direction in which this case was heading. The mighty duo of Afsal and Ms. Ural made a breakthrough. If you remember, the second commission that was sent to Kohistan was presented four girls. The commission didn't come back completely empty-handed. They took headshots of the girls. Catherine was able to access those pictures of their headshots. But more importantly, a witness from Kohistan, who still remains anonymous to this date, shared the NADRA, N-A-D-R-A, cards of the girls with both of them. Now, NADRA, N-A-D-R-A, is an identification agency in Pakistan and issues national identification cards. Think of Aadhaar card in India or a driver's license in America. These NADRA cards possess the pictures of Begum, Shireen and Amna, and also their fingerprints. This was it. Now they could compare the photos of the actual girls with the photos of the alleged girls. They wasted no time. On a cursory glance, simply on a look of it, Catherine noticed something in Begum's original photo. Begum has a small mole an inch above her left lip. The mole is slightly lifted. But in the photo clicked by the commission, Begum 2.0 essentially has a mole on a slightly different position on her face and it is flattened. Even on a cursory glance, there are differences that stand out. Aran, but I'm assuming this isn't sufficient evidence to prove anything. A more comprehensive analysis, perhaps. I know I'm jumping the gun, but also there were five girls. Why just three ID cards? Great question. So let me answer the second one first. To have a NADRA card be made, the individual needs to be 18 or older. One of the girls didn't fulfill that criteria. She was 12 years old. And for the other, her ID card was simply never found. Wow. But getting to the comprehensive analysis you talked about, you're right. Um, Catherine and Afsal needed something way more substantial and persuasive to try to shift the momentum than just a mole on somebody's face. And so they developed a methodical process. They sent pictures of the girls from the NADRA cards, pictures from the second commission, and even pictures from the original video, so essentially screenshots. All three sets of pictures were sent to a British intelligence agency for facial recognition analysis. Basically, if you've ever been at the airport, the custom dude asks you to death stare at this camera, which basically compares your face to your picture and your passport. I actually had a funny experience with that godforsaken technology in Africa. When I landed to my first country there, the customs dude refused to believe I was the same guy as the one in my passport. Aryan in the passport is a slim Aryan with short hair. Aryan prior to Africa had gained a bit of weight, which I've lost now, and had long hair. I waited 15 minutes while multiple people stared at me in disbelief. Well, that happened. Now, what Catherine wanted to compare were two sets of pictures one at a time. First, Begum's picture from the NADRA card, 
which we know is definitely Begum, and then her picture from the viral video. Those two photos had a 49.5% match, which is extremely high reliability that they're the same people. This also proved the legitimacy of the Nadra card because the Nadra card's image is the same as the scandalous video that was leaked. Now, next up was comparing the Nadra pictures to those attained during the second commission's trip. This was the deal breaker or deal maker. This was it, basically. Comparing those two sets of Begum's photo showed a 17.4% match. 1, 7, 17. You're kidding. That is almost negligible. One could conclusively say that the women met by Dr. Bari and other investigators were definitely not who they were. Begum was not Begum 2.0. We've even uploaded the pictures of the analysis on our Instagram and Twitter at Desi Crime, so you can go see for yourself how different the two women were. There is only one plausible explanation as to why that could have been. Because Begum was dead, just like the other four girls. I find this so incredibly unbelievable that they could just present these women, make them up. But on the brighter side, I'm hoping this helps. Like, this piece of evidence makes it clear what was going on. Yeah, so this was it then. You wonder. Case solved. Dust off your hands. Put down your earphones. Fairy tale ending. Yay, justice. Woohoo! But if only it were that easy, always remember, crime isn't black and white. It can be brown too. And this crime was as brown as a crime gets and as desi and as corrupt. Using this evidence, Afsal submitted a habeas corpus to the district court in Kohistan on February 12, 2014, demanding the girls be presented again for their fingerprints to be compared. The judge from the court in Kohistan actually took Afsal's side and ordered the tribe to present the girls. They denied. Again and again. Their argument remained the same. It wasn't in their culture to present girls in court, they said. I mean, yeah, duh, no culture says present girls in the court, but that's because most cultures expect you not to screw up and have the court ask you to present yourself. But if you do screw up, eh, you might just have to present the girls. This theme of honour and tradition loomed around this case forever. Afsal wrote to the Supreme Court, including Catherine's article, and asking whether they planned to look at the fingerprints now that they had so much evidence. Afsal and Catherine waited. But she grew impatient and wrote asking for an interview. They waited. She finally went there to ask in person. That encounter she had when she was at the Supreme Court, she describes as, quote, The registrar looked at me with tired eyes from between tottering piles of paper, carefully transcribed heartbreaking, screaming from the guts of each folder. He didn't say much. Unquote. Aryan, this kind of reminds me of our Cries of a Hundred Mother episode. You expect these like clerks and these kind of lower level officials in the justice system to understand Mm. the meaning and gravity of what justice means and what the law means. But these are tired, poor people working these jobs that couldn't care less. And that's such a sad state of affair for any developing country. It it provides me a lot of context because we all glorify these officials in our minds. And when you read about on-the-ground reporting, 
you see these are just people tired from their 9 to 5 jobs that are probably underpaid but even after the fortitude of evidence even after all the british intelligence analysis ashwarya no court date was set now the tide had completely turned media pressure faded political backing of afsal withered public outcry dimmed lawyers became too expensive and afsal stood alone helpless to make things worse on a random morning in 2017 an even more heartbreaking news appeared the six men sentenced to life for assassinating afsal's three brothers were acquitted what allowed to leave prison despite killing three people in cold blood that makes no sense just political pressure chain sides ashwarya years had passed since the video came it was time for catherine also to start another chapter in her life she moved to kenya where she still works but kept in connect with afsal afsal didn't give up if you remember brishke ahmed's description of him he was a dude a dashing confident man he wasn't someone who gave up so he lobbied the police approached the courts and did all that he could in this period though something weird started happening afsal started texting catherine that he feared for his life he felt like he needed to escape pakistan he asked her how to seek asylum something was bugging him now that the six men who murdered his brothers were free were they after him before that coming back to the lead i came across i've been waiting for you to for so long i will keep his identity discreet for obvious reasons but here's what i'm going to tell you in dubai i knew a guy called arshad bhaiya he was my dad's driver and an absolute gem of a guy he was an immigrant from a village that bordered kohistan when my dad brought up the case with him and asked if the girls were actually killed arshad almost instinctively replied yes obviously he claimed that it was common knowledge in that region that the girls had been killed and as echoed by many others arshad bhaiya said that this wasn't a rarity this piece of evidence this testimony from someone not directly affiliated to the case bore great importance for me even though it was well settled that a massacre had occurred justice didn't deliver i'm sorry to tell you everyone this story doesn't have a fairy tale ending afsal had a court hearing on march 7th 2019 in abbottabad he hated going to these hearings firstly because they never led to anything but also because he was most vulnerable in those moments because his location was public everybody knew where he'd been on that day in fact before the hearing afsal said quote i have submitted several applications to the abtabad hazara divisions regional police officer for my security especially when i visit kohistan and bisham for court hearings because my family and i are receiving threats by those angered by the court decision unquote afsal texted katherine in march of 2019 a high followed by a smiling emoji That was his last ever text to Catherine. At 10 minutes past 8 on the morning of March 7th, 
Afsal Kohistani was gunned down on the streets of Abbottabad. The man, the myth, the legend that we all know as Afsal is alive no more. He died 2 years back from multiple gun wounds. The next day's headline was Afsal from the Kohistan scandal shot dead. Eventually investigations found 3 people obviously from the girls tribe guilty of murder and sentenced them to life. The Kohistan case remains open. Yet nobody remains to fight for the girls. Bin Nasir and Gul Nazar still stay in hiding. They lost their elder brother. I, I don't think I can possibly say it better myself. And so the ending is a quote from Catherine that she wrote after Afsal's death. Ashwara, could you please read this for us? I was sad and angry. I was angry with all the people who failed him, who hadn't returned his calls and messages, who were honor-bound and bloody well paid to support him in his fight and who had chosen to watch from the sidelines. I was mad I didn't try harder to write his story and for the many times I hadn't chatted with him because I was busy. I am sad he won't marry and have children to heal a family so devastated by killing. I was sad that Pakistan once a much loved home and land of my friends failed him i was sad to think that he was one of many who died in vain i am sad that i won't see his bright white smile again she ends that eulogy on quote afsal my friend you deserved better than this your spirit was strong and patient and you never stopped fighting yet as so many times before I have nothing to give you but words. Unquote. Researching for this case Ashwara and you know this I have I have cried a lot um and I even though I've not met Afsal it almost feels like I have I've heard his audio tape so many times heard about him from so many people and just to think of somebody that brave that macho and that that the the balls on that man one can only envy and so he is an idol for so many of us out there to speak when we see something wrong happen um i lend this episode on something that reminded me of afsal something afsal said after the death of his brothers he said that now his life could be sacrificed too as long as justice was delivered all that mattered to him at this point was his story being out there this was our attempt to get his story out there but to get a better understanding of how you can possibly help afsal's brothers who are still in hiding and the case of honor killings we end this episode with a small clip from our interview with brishke ahmed this clip will perhaps give you a better idea of what you can do to defeat the cause of not just cyber bullying and cyber sexual assault but honor killings at large but till then we bid adieu from a case that has been a long time coming until next time stay crazy stay desi the last question i have brishke uh, is what can our listeners do to help cybercrime in pakistan to help the families to donate is there any means to sort of help afsal's brothers who are in hiding or just anything any way our listeners can help so 
I mean, I think if if somebody's really, really genuinely interested in trying to help up Upsal's family, I know that the renowned activist uh, Dr. Farzana Bari, um, she's on Twitter and she's uh, she's very active on social media. She's I know that she is in communication with the family and she knows um, how somebody can help them if they need it. Um, but in in other aspects of it, you know, just. You know, like even like, you know, just in general, like people from the subcontinent region, like, you know, they have ladies parties, for instance, like where like, you know, women will film women dancing. And if you happen to be a brother or like a whatever, like don't take that video and upload it on like and share it on TikTok or something like that. Like, just be cautious because the ramifications of this, right, to be seen and not seen is like the weight of that and the... um yeah, the the lives that are attached to that, it's 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 serious. It's it's not a joke. You know? Um yeah, that's basically it. Thank you.